Listeners and welcome to another episode of the Guillotine Press, the podcast harder than Thompson Twins. Hold me now, Travis's favorite ep- favorite song. <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. So again, as I said, uh, here with me today are my brothers in metal, Travis, Captain Creature Yabara, hello, and Saint Anger himself, Josh Heath. Fran TikTok. <laughs> ah, damn. This Tick week out. we have. So this week we have uh, an episode I'm actually super pumped for. Um, we are taking on progressive rock, uh, concept rock album, opera, something rock opera. Uh, you know, I, I heard art. You know, art rock. All all kinds of uh, adjectives. But we today uh, in our in our album battle. Uh, we are taking on Pink Floyd's The Wall and Rush 2112. We got a big couple heavy hitters on this battle this week, and I'm really excited to see what the gang has to say about these albums. Um, a big 70s legend- battle, man. Big, yeah, a couple legendary rock battle. I will yeah, say couple- I have a hot take for our battle. Oh, I'm here what? for it. I'm here for it. Um, but I'm I'm pumped. Like this was a this was a really fun exercise for me to get into. Um, like I was uh, I was actually listening to the wall with. Uh, actually, no, I was listening. Either way, I was listening to these albums with my wife the other day, and you know, it's just like these are some of those albums that it's easy to kind of forget about. At least uh, for me, is it, bud? No, it's it's not like not forget. About, <laughs> like, <laughs> no, for, for, no for, forget about in you. a way that like how when you're when you're going to sit down like. For me, it's I almost never am like okay. I want to sit down and listen to something. I for for no good reason. I almost never think about Pink Floyd, The Wall, even though it's like a freaking legendary piece of work. But what do you think of when you think of Pink Floyd? The Wall. (laughs) Oh, I thought you said you didn't. No, I mean no. Like when you like, you know, like when you're kind of like okay, I I want to sit down. I want to actually sit down and listen to something. Like The Wall would be that album that you sit down and listen to, but like it always just kind of goes over my head or um, never comes to mind. So I'm glad that uh, our the hand was kind of forced this week because, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's going to be something I, I know for sure. Both of these albums I'm going to come back to a lot. But anyway, I won't I won't skip to the end. We won't talk about the battle too much here in the beginning. Uh, let's just start off, do a little, maybe a little roundtable. Tell us what you guys have been up to, what you're listening to, and uh, how things have been. Josh, I know you just came back from a – a little weekend trip with with the the wife to be and in in uh so how was that what what was your uh road trip music fun. and all that good stuff yeah so my buddy James drove so it was really just his playlist there was like a big mixture of like uh metallica but also like country music 90s so- aerosmith <laughs> I think we did get through some 90s Aerosmith. He played the Armageddon soundtrack. But yeah, the trip itself was it was pretty fun. We uh we drove down there. I was hoping to see some bears, didn't see any. We were actually in a cabin in the woods, so I actually thought that uh we could. But the two bears were driving up there. That's pretty that's accurate. (laughs) So I guess there were two bears in the woods. Never mind. Uh, Hey, are the girls uh, asleep? Yeah, uh, the the thing is, is I was uh, like, I actually listened to both of the records because, like, you know, when you're out in the woods and like away from civilization, you can actually like see the stars at night and everything. So is it was like a pretty different experience. Yeah, it was like a different experience to listen to those records, like just in the middle of like nothingness, I guess. Oh yeah, um, it was it's definitely it hits different when you're just like around nothing and like not around people and just like it's just you and like the night i know that sounds like very hippie-ish but uh yeah it was 
it was interesting. I went to a few record stores there. Um, now, where'd really you go? Seen... Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Gatlinburg, okay. Yeah, I went to some record stores while I was there. Didn't pick anything up. They had a decent selection of stuff. They had a pretty cool selection of shirts. Like, I, there was very obscure band shirts there, actually. Um, it was it was pretty cool. Um, there was also like a martial arts store with like uh, swords and stuff. That was pretty sick. Um, I almost bought some nunchucks to practice. Josh um, the Samurai. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just listened to the Iron Maiden album from last year. Um, nice. Yeah, it's it, it. The one thing I'll say that will tie it into the podcast is like when you listen to music, just like in like your own little world like you don't have to worry about like neighbors getting ticked at how loud you listen to something or whatever like it just mm-hmm. especially like with these two albums that are very like psychedelic and like spacey atmosphere especially 2112 and then you know you have like the vocal style on uh the wall it's just very like eerie and you know it's just like it, it just sets the tone and sets the mood. So that was pretty cool. But overall, good trip. Had fun. Can't really complain, boys. But I'm trying to think if there's anything else music-wise I'm looking forward to. This week, the Blood Incantation Ambient album, Time Wave Zero, comes out. So if you guys haven't uh, listened to Blood Incantation before, Travis, I know you have. Dude, what was but, uh, the this is uh, be totally different? It's not going to be death metal at all, or have vocals, or even really guitars. I think. Sorry, man, we, we missed a fucking record last time we recorded. Uh, what was the? God damn it! I sent you guys right after we recorded, and uh, I listened to a couple tracks of it. Uh, the very beginning, you said it started like a horror film. Fuck. Oh, you're talking about Cult of Luna? Yeah, Cult of Luna, man. Yeah, the album's sick. I finally dug into that. It was incredible yeah. yeah last last time we recorded we like we missed that because it came out like the night before or something yeah i tried I mean, to find that at the record store and it's sold out everywhere is it really yeah yeah it had some fucking uh, gnarly sounding shit man from what i was listening to yeah, dude, yeah they like uh it's like a cinematic like experience listening to their last couple records mm-hmm. um the raging river which i know was kind of on both of our lists last year, yeah. Travis. Yeah. It's a like a cinematic like experience, especially like the like what's the word I'm looking for? Like the tension like is very built much like a horror movie when it starts out. Like yeah. on the newest record, like doesn't that feel to you like I don't yeah, know, tone, like a Jordan Peele record or a mute movie or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, tone and the atmosphere and the way of uh Putting yeah. together, like you can tell there's definitely thought in putting together that record like the way that they have it yeah started. like i felt like i was like on the edge of my seat while listening to that like it just felt like it flowed like a movie with like different acts and then like it climaxed and then you know what i mean like it just kind of felt like it was like structured like a like a horror movie or just like a good movie in general mm-hmm. a thriller or something like that but yeah dude those dudes are like on a hot streak one of the most under the radar hot streaks in metal right now i think yeah no for sure man no i agree yeah Brooks, what, did you get a chance to listen to it oh yeah i we were we were all listening to it together that one day i think because i think you oh yeah us and then you're like oh you know that new cult of luna came out and then i i turned it on like instantly and i remember just hearing like that intro track um that, oh. yeah it's called uh yeah oh. so the album is the long road north and yeah, that first track, Cold Burn, it like oh, yeah. it, like you said, it truly does feel like the beginning of a horror film, and it's like so spooky and eerie and awesome. And then they kind of like they kind of bookended the album with a track like that too, which so it was kind of. I thought that album was outstanding. Like I only I only gave it that yeah. first I only gave it that first initial listen, but I was like, this album fucking rules, and yeah. So I, I definitely want to get back into it. Dude, maybe like I could compare it to like watching The Omen. Like the soundtrack from The Omen, just like those like yeah. heavy like gongs and like all that. Oh like, yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of those, man. Like a lot of those, like seventies, seventies, eighties, like more seventies horror. You would know better than I, but like those seventies, like soundtracks to horror movies. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Especially you, you get into the uh, Italian stuff, like Goblin. Goblin's a band that uh, works a lot with Dario Argento. They actually tour oh. and shit. Like they're a legit band. And uh, the soundtrack to Suspiria is fucking like amazing. Like you can just sit in the dark and listen to that and you feel like you're, you know, about to get fucking abducted by a witch or something. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. One thing <laughs> I want to say this before I actually forget. Uh, it's funny. I was at the record store in Gatlinburg. And on this podcast, we've talked about uh, John Carpenter. Vinyl. Oh, yeah. Dude, I found a lot of John Carpenter vinyl, but they were so expensive. Oh, I was dude. like, like I just really, how much were they? I think one was like 110. And Whoa. then from that point on, I was like, I, I got to move on from this. Which, which ones were they? Let's try and think. I want to say definitely the original Halloween was there. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, oh my. And then there was, I can't remember what it was called. It was like John Carpenter's something. <sighs> Escape from New York. Um, Salt on Precinct 13. The Fog. The Fog was there. Yeah. The Thing uh, is another good one. Th- That's uh, a Leo Morricone. Were they all like, um, like movie scores or yeah, was it like? But there was a couple that was like him with an orchestra. I think yeah, I want to say lost lost themes, dude. You need yeah, to get those. It. They got it at the Karma right up here on Thirty Eighth Street. Like oh, okay. you need to get those. It's, yeah, it's someone who likes like a like a very ambient, like kind of like a set in the mood, atmospheric kind of stuff. Like he is a fucking master, man. Yeah, for sure, and. uh there was a, like they had a bunch of out. like imports, mm-hmm. uh, like import vinyl that was super expensive. Expensive. There was like a bunch of Cannibal Corpse that oh, I nice. was like, I was really trying hard to convince myself to buy it, but I've just spent <laughs> way too much money on records lately, and I was like, this is not financially responsible at this point. If I buy this eighty-five dollar <laughs> import of uh tomb of the mutilated i know you said you've been buying a lot of records lately and stuff do you want to talk about your like kind of side project that you are organizing and shit uh i'm thinking about just kind of doing like more so like interview based yeah uh and like the more like obscure types of metal like on here i know we do like a lot of like um just more like metal that's uh listen to maybe by the masses but i know we try and introduce people to new music but like i really kind of want to start like an underground kind of not underground podcast but like a podcast that like sheds light on more underground bands that we all listen to for example like edema (laughs) (laughs) no like i want to like uh like part of me really wants to like get involved in the scene somehow yeah of like the like metal movement that's really starting to like pick up especially the death metal movement stuff here in the united states like bands like cerebral rot uh yeah. worm like bands like that that are like really coming up and really, like really making a name for themselves like i'd like to just kind of get involved in that scene in a way that i you know can because i don't think i i, I know i'm not talented enough to like start a band so I was like, yeah, maybe I could just like start talking to these guys and ladies that are involved in this, you know, movement that's really happening right now. Like, I don't think a lot of people really like a lot of people that are big metal fans do understand. Yeah. But like, it's there's like a really big scene. movement. Yeah, it's de- like uh, and that's I was like, really, uh, I was like, and you got to drop the like, the are you going with the name that you told me? Yeah, uh, lost in the catacombs is like <laughs> what good. I'm thinking about doing. So, yeah, it's like got a death metal logo. It's very influenced by maybe Dark Throne, yeah. but like where the pentagram is, it's like a microphone. So, and I was like that. I'm glad that he's doing that because, like, I like some of that shit, and I know Brooks likes some of that shit, but we're not like so much. Like, I, I don't, I don't dive into that kind of stuff. You know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I like you know the peripheral kind of stuff you know, the stuff that I've heard, like you introduced me to Dark Throne and stuff like that. But like someone who's really, really into that scene, I think it could be a really cool uh, endeavor for you, like to get more into that kind of stuff. 
And like the thing that kind of started it was like, I'm really kind of gaining like a following, like posting my vinyl collection yeah, on like okay. Instagram. Like, dude, I like grew like 400 followers in like the last month and a half. Yeah. Like just from posting vinyl. And a lot of the vinyl records I post are just like very obscure, like not obscure, but like underground, I guess. Not is, mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. They're very like a lot of it is like very underground metal extreme metal so and i know like me being a horror guy i know exactly what you're saying because it's like the horror guys in the know buy shit from vinegar syndrome and severin yeah. and all this other shit that you would never be able to get at a store it's just physical media fans yeah you know? we've talked about this before that like yeah. metal and horror go hand in hand and the fan oh, bases are so similar because physical media you, man yeah you either have like and, and also, like, personality-wise, like, you have these people that are super, like, superficial when it comes to, like, and judgmental when it comes to, like, if you like a certain movie, they're like, oh, you're not a true horror fan. It's kind of that same way <laughs> with, like, metal. Yeah. It's, like, I, uh, very oddly similar. And like I encountered I think... that uh, this last week with the new Texas Chainsaw. That, that shit oh, is, like, good. so divided, man. And I'm like, he cuts people heads off throughout the whole movie i'm like i'm down i'm down like i'm in yeah but the thing that like uh the thing that kind of got me interested in that was like i kind of just want to tie it into like i think that it could really benefit like artists and stuff if like i take this approach of like if this is just me being like overly optimistic obviously but, like, I think there needs to be a change with the way that, like, metal fans are, especially fans of, like, extreme metal. Like, super, yeah. super, like, judgmental towards people that like, like, Metallica and stuff. And I'm like, dude, you know good and well that you wouldn't be into this genre if you didn't hear, like, one or Master of Puppets. Yeah. Like, when you were a kid. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, if you wore a like, Pantera shirt around some of those guys, they're just, they, I feel like they would take a hit of their cigarette and be like, <laughs> Pantera. <laughs> yeah it's like dude these dudes like and it's always the guy that's like you can't wear the band the uh, shirt of the band that you're going to see live yeah. it's like those guys too that are always saying yeah. that but whatever man like i just think it'd be cool to find a way to like tell these like stories and like i don't know maybe somehow promote the music that i think needs more attention because i think there's a lot of these talented artists out there that definitely need uh you know supported especially if you're into metal and maybe get more people interested in that side of things because there really are a lot of talented bands i mean there are a lot of bad bands as well just like with anything but i think that uh yeah i just think it's something that would be cool to just like hear their stories and as someone who comes from like a background of like wanting to tell stories i'm super and i've always been super interested in um like metal documentaries rock documentaries oh, yeah like biopics like stuff like that like i've always been like books like i can't tell you how many like music autobiographies or biographies i've read and i've just always been fascinated with like how do you get to the point where you like construct like these records or like come up with the ideas like similar to probably how you would be if you interviewed like john carpenter like dude how did yeah. you come up with the idea for the soundtrack to halloween or the yeah. fog or something like that but yeah just uh have no fear if you're a huge fan of mine which i'm sure there's none of you but uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm not leaving this podcast ever and i'm still fully ingrained and dedicated to it i just i know that like uh extreme music is not for everybody like that's why this one's kind of a broad spectrum of metal in general which i still love but uh i would still really like to talk to like these bands that come from like the underground too because mm -hmm. i think it's just such a fascinating story of like there's like this little like underground and it's always been like this i know even from like the death metal scene of the 80s and 90s like there's just like this little like group of like super killer bands that are in the underground that just exist and they just put out records they don't really tour like a lot of these bands like don't tour and they just like put out music constantly and it's, it's just kind of uh it kind of reminds me of like a quote from alice cooper 
like because they were asking him like the state of rock or whatever and he you know i know he's like a 70 year old guy and a legend and shit but he yeah. was like it kind of reminds me of like how it was when we started you know he was talking about like him and he was like rock was like pushed down like when we started so we were like the outlaws and shit we were behind the yeah. scenes, we were underground we were we were like not selling out shows you know and then in the 70s you know like 70s and in, into the 80s like rock was king and shit and it's like it kind of went back down again and now that it's kind of like this outlaw underground kind of thing again and i it's like he was like I, I, like on one hand that's like really i think that's going to be really beneficial for it you know yeah I agree with that. And I think that, I don't know. I just think that like a lot of these guys, like these guys and ladies in like this extreme metal scene don't get a lot of publicity just based around the fact that it is kind of a very niche audience. Oh yeah. Um, similar yeah, to horror, man. Putting like, it lightly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, like if you can get the director of blood diner, like, yeah, to tell that story like you know like it's obscure it's an obscure movie just it's so interesting to like hear the stories from these people who just like put out this like content that is going to last forever i don't know man like it's like and i know this podcast is out there in the ether as well but and content creators in general but like sometimes like i listen to like these records and i'm like how do these people like how do these people come up with these ideas like it's just incredible Oh, for sure, bud. Yeah, I, I didn't want to know if I didn't know if you wanted to bring that up or not, but I was like, man, I'm going to give him an opportunity to bring it up because I think it's cool as fuck. Yeah, it's still kind of uh, I'm still trying to like line interviews up. I have a yeah. couple in the works right now that I'll tell you guys off air. Cool, but uh, nice. One of them I'm pretty stoked about. So it's still probably at least a month away from really <clears throat> gaining any traction. I've got like the logo and everything, which pretty cool so so to get into brooksy did you finish what you were listening to uh i don't even remember where i left left off that train of thought but we'll just go ahead and move forward it's okay okay yeah i'm down yeah yeah i i feel like you were about to to lead into something oh i can yeah for sure so i've been listening (laughs) i've been getting into like the early 80s kind of rock um uh i like billy squire don't say no like that fucking album dude uh maybe it was because i was watching billy madison the other day when he pulls up with the ario speedwagon shirt on and shit (laughs) but no like that song like the stroke is fucking killer though man like i i've always loved that like that era of music like you know he had the like the cars debut billy squire like all that era too like the elo like the ario speedwagon stuff like that but it's right. like, yeah, the stroke, everybody wants you, all that shit. Like, just classic American, like, Foreigner, uh, all that stuff, just classic American rock. Um, and then uh, Billy Idol. Uh, I, I, I fucking love Billy Idol. Did you say Idol. Billie Eilish? Billy, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Although her, uh, her No Time to Die is actually pretty good. Yeah, um, Billy Idol's Rebel Yell from 1983. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite records, man. Uh, Eyes Without a Good Face, one. one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, Flesh or Fantasy, uh, you know, Rebel Yell. It's uh, Blue Highway. Like, there's a lot of, uh, you know, more rocking stuff on that record. But, yeah, a lot of, like, early 80s kind of stuff, even into uh, getting into the 70s a little bit with, like, the Hollies and stuff like that. Um, I was, I think I was still kind of into the ballad mood. Cause like I went into the Hollies and you know stuff like that, like from the seventies. Nice. And hey, I meant to bring this up when Josh was talking about his Tennessee trip and being in the record store and uh, all the, like, you know, finding all the John Carpenter stuff. And it was like, yeah. oh wow, I, I would love to have it, but it was really expensive. It made me think of of this story I, I ran into yesterday. And I'm assuming that at least one of you saw it, but um, did you see? this this stuff about the uh of of tool uh release oh my the god fear inoculum dude. ultra deluxe lp eight hundred and like twenty dollars eight hundred and ten dollars is what i'm shit. seeing so it's like what's a, it's all like on a, it so i know it's there, signed so yeah it's it's like a five record thing limited press 
they're only selling it at shows and it's autographed. But so I don't know. I I think all the members of the band signed it. I would assume. But yeah, so I saw that and I was like, "Mother of God!" <laughs> and it's I like, probably it's still so, buy it. Yeah, I mean, well, eight hundred bucks for like all their signatures, and I assume that. Like, would you buy that at the merch table, or would you buy it? Yeah, like, yeah probably. You can only okay. buy it at the merch table. Okay. But you know, what's crazy about yeah, that. I'd I'm like, it. I'm like, dude, I would buy it in a second because then I saw apparently in that same article they're like, yeah, people are flipping them on eBay and selling them for like two grand. Easy. The whole band, yeah, hell yeah, yeah. And especially if it's all, and you know, I think that especially after you know, because they only have a limited supply, like that shit's gonna run out fast. Oh, so yeah. then, you know, the the uh, secondary market is gonna get ludicrous with trying to pick that up. So even if you just wanted to buy it as a whether to flip it or like a long term collectible, or you know, if you're just an actual fan and you want that shit, but I when I saw that, I was like, whoa, <laughs> like I. It was just, it kind of like just blew me away when I saw, oh yeah, you can buy a, a limited press record for like $800. I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, I was yeah, just curious. I might have to go get that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might yeah, have to go get that at the Louisville show or something. God, if they even have any by then. Because I know it said that it was limited press, but they didn't really, I couldn't find any specifics of like the actual quantity that exists so uh, who knows maybe that's just a way to say maybe that's like a marketing ploy to say limited press even though they're gonna have like i'm looking at photos of it right now yeah because i think on i think what i saw and i'm going off memory because i only like kind of like scan the article oh dude the vinyl yeah they have like one one side is like the playable side and one side is like a an etching of some kind of like a design or something is that right yeah, but I might buy this right now. <laughs> Two grand, I'll drop it. Oof. No, just kidding. I got rent to pay. Oof. I was about to say, you're basically married now, but that's that's grounds for uh, oh, I'd be dead. Quite, quite, quite the discussion. In, in but, the but it's tool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's but, tool, bud. I, I mean, spent a hundred dollars on a lateralis a couple of years ago. Might as well. Yeah, I, I spent a hundred dollars two years ago. I might as well spend two grand now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm already I, neck deep in it. Perfect logic. <laughs> yeah, killer. All right, gentlemen. I think without further ado, it needs to be that time now, and that time is to enter the guillotine. As we finally get into our progressive rock battle this week, as alluded to earlier, as the uh, the 1976 album 2112 from the iconic Rush faces off against The Wall from 1979. And of course, The Wall created by the one, the only Pink Floyd. So, um, you know, I don't want to get personally, I don't want to get into like a whole track listing, especially from The Wall, because there's just too damn much there. Um, yeah, there's like 22 or 23 songs or something like that. <laughs> I think it's even more than that. But I think it's I think, you know, getting into the battle will just I think it'll uh naturally just kind of flow into, you know, the album since like the album construction, how they're put together, you know, all that good stuff. I think it'll just happen naturally as we talk about it. So, I don't think we really need to spend too much time um on that in the beginning. I think we should just probably um I don't know if like part of me just wants to like discuss the albums too because I think it's just more than I don't know why but like this week more than others personally I feel like this is more than just I like this album better and here's why I think there's a lot more that you can really get into if you know if you really want but um yeah I mean like just I mean I know this is not first listen for anybody on either one of these albums but like I don't know maybe Travis like what are your some of your like overall takes and just opinions and whatever about these albums and you know we can if you if you want to go into like what album you pick you pick for the battle then so be it but i'm just kind of curious on some takes on the album before we you know kind of as a starter if you will why don't we start with heath since he had a hot take 
Oh, we just want to lead with the hot take. I like it. Let's do it. Yeah. He, you did. Yeah, you did. Because uh... that could steer the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think the hot take would uh, just put fire like, in the ruin gas. my pick. Oh, <laughs> wait. You're probably going to come out and say something sucks. No, obviously neither one of these albums suck. But uh, do you just well, want me to jump right in? Yeah, or... let's do it. Let's let's. Okay. It, it wouldn't be a battle if there wasn't some clause. Let's talk right. about before you uh, reveal your hot take. Talk about like how you were introduced to Rush and Pink Floyd. Like talk about so, how you those bands. Yeah, Pink Floyd. Um, I think a lot of it just really was back in like the '90s. Like my dad and I. A lot of like my music influence really comes from being around my dad. But like mm-hmm. Pink Floyd, I remember hearing it had to have been comfortably numb on the radio. And I was like, what is it? Like this sounds scary. Like this sounds creepy, like eerie. Like I just remember. But then like it's also yet so beautiful, right? So like it's like this duality of like very dark, like the the lyrical themes are so like dark yet like the chorus is so beautiful like uh, it's just a very odd like song in how like it blends together like those emotions right Mm -hmm. and it's just like there was something about pink floyd that i gravitated gravitated toward just because like it really like alters your mindset right like if you throw on a pink floyd record it really alters how you're feeling um and I think it's hard to find that with a lot of music. Like you can find that with movies for sure. Um, but like Pink Floyd in a way is a movie in the musical in the realm of music, right? Like it's just masterful. Um, you know, Roger Waters and David Gilmore really were, and here's my hot take, better than McCartney and Lennon as a duo. So, like, and I know a lot of people are going, like, a lot of people always go back to, like, John Lennon um, and Paul McCartney are the greatest songwriting duo of all time. And I know that a lot of David Gilmore and Roger Waters, like, a lot of their writing was very, like, spaced out. But I think they're the two greatest writers that have ever been in one band together. That goes beyond, like, anything I think any, like, any band that I think you could come up with, I think. The Roger Waters and David Gilmore are better than them. Um, Stones. Yeah, dude. Richards and Jagger. Like, dude, I think they do laps around them. Mm. Like, yeah, man. I just, there's something about the atmosphere and the songs that, and obviously they don't really get along nowadays, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, David Gilmore and Roger Waters really like, hit on something and struck a nerve with a lot of people um emotionally um obviously people had altered states of mind going to a lot of pink floyd shows but even <laughs> if you don't even if you don't have like an altered state of mind like the music itself takes you to a different world and i know that's ironic because we're talking about 2112 versus the wall but Pink Floyd in and of itself is I don't think I think they go beyond just music and being a band I think Pink Floyd is more so like and this is going to sound so hippie-ish man but like it's like a spiritual (laughs) like like Pink Floyd is like a spiritual thing like this album is an experience yeah it's like a spiritual experience it's like the first time I stepped foot and saw Wrigley Field for the first time like it was like this feeling just like takes over you and it's just like i don't know it's like a feeling of warmth but also like a feeling of like relaxation just like listening to pink floyd records is especially like if you're just relaxing and winding down at the end of a day there's like nothing better than throwing on a pink floyd record and i think their music really connects with a lot of people um i think obviously let me can i interject with a thought there yeah. I think it's I think it's actually kind of wild that like especially talking about this album and if you were just talking about the band in general versus the wall but like I I found it just kind of wild right there when you just said like this is the kind of music you could just like turn on at the end of the day and just kind of wind down to but yet the wall is like 
if you if all you did was like listen to the music of the record like yes absolutely you can just like sit back in a chair or whatever in your bean bag and just kind of zone out and just kind of exist but at the same time like the the depth and the like emotion right and just all this like the tone of the the lyrics of this album are so it is so deep and so like in parts disturbing that like it would be anything yeah. but relaxing you know yeah i think the only thing i'll push back on that is like a lot of people don't take a deep dive into the records like we do like most people just will sit back and zone out and listen to it yeah and i think pink floyd is always just one of those bands that if you don't know what you want to listen to like pink floyd's like that band that you throw on right if yeah, like for sure if you have like a party and people are coming over and you don't know what like and you're like a rock fan <laughs> like and you don't want to drift away from playing rock music at your party like i think one of the bands like you always play like when the party's winding down is like you throw on pink floyd right yeah um everybody knows another brick in the wall part two um you think that they are for everybody i don't know man like i i would hate to say like i think it takes like a a true like invested fan Uh and like rock music to say that like i don't think that that's fair because (sighs) i don't know i think i think a lot of their hits are like you know very like I don't know. I think Pink like, Floyd. I, I feel like I, I feel like a lot of their hits are very like you know welcomes a lot of different people from different musical tastes to listen to and enjoy. But I think when you really get into like the deep cuts of albums and stuff, like I, I definitely think that it takes like a certain kind of you know fan that maybe more of a tenured rock fan. Like I don't think Pink Floyd like like I said maybe like the hits and stuff. I don't think like pink floyd albums as a whole are like a good first step for somebody just getting into like rock music if that makes sense well and they have their commercial stuff and they're like you said like the deeper stuff and yeah and like uh everything you're saying really it applies to rush as well like in my right. opinion, it's like you know uh moving pictures and signals and you know uh stuff like that like is probably how a lot of the mainstream got into rush but we're tackling 2112 from 76 and it's like even the members of the band feel like that's like the first rush album you know it's like that's like the band that's like when the band started feeling like themselves as opposed to and i think they even said this like uh, a led zeppelin kind of ripoff kind of thing because they were like they saw led zeppelin fucking blowing up and stuff and we're like how do we like blow up like that but it's like let's just be ourselves and let's be progressive rock and I think that's true, like with what you said about Pink Floyd, but I think that applies to progressive rock in general. Cause it's like Pink Floyd, even a lot of their hits are like commitments, right? It's like, it's kind of yeah, like when we're talking that's about a good Tool, word to use for it. Like Tool, Fear, Knock Them. And like it has fucking like 16 minute songs and stuff. Like a lot of people, like even Time, like a, a song like Time, which was like a massive hit. It's yeah. like seven minutes and 30 seconds or some shit like, that. <laughs> you know, like your average, like, a, and I got into like, just to talk about like how I got into these two bands. Um, my stepdad actually introduced me to Pink Floyd. My dad introduced me to a lot of like, um, kind of like the American kind of sounding rock and roll. Like uh, he introduced me to a lot of Motown, a lot of James Brown war, um, like Vietnam era kind of stuff. Uh, and one of his favorite bands was Led Zeppelin as well um a little bit different you know type of band as far as pink floyd he always thought pink floyd were pussies <laughs> that's like a <laughs> quote from don yavara he's like i don't want that fucking boring shit man but like and then my stepdad actually introduced me uh frank he actually introduced me to pink floyd because he was wearing like a shirt that had a pig on it you know and i was like who the f-? you know i always knew who pink floyd was but i never like dove in uh and then with rush It was like, uh, and I think I dove into like Dark Side of the Moon or something, you know, like the most probably commercial album that they ever made. And then Rush, it was actually uh, Jordan Stepp's father, uh, Randy Stepp, is a Rush freak. And uh, I was playing, I think it was Stairway to Heaven or something on one of the Guitar Heroes. We were playing one night and he was like, you know, Led Zeppelin's cool, but have you ever heard of the Holy, what do they call him? The Holy Tri- uh, 
triumphant. The Holy Trinity. Triumphant. Yeah, the Holy Trinity. And he was like, uh, he was like, dude, put on YYZ. And like, uh, you know, we were just like kind of rocking out. This was before the slap of the bass shit and all that stuff. <laughs> and like, seriously though, like Rush was big, but like some of the records weren't so big, like Hemispheres and, you know, yeah. Spirit of the Radio and even like 2112. Of course they had signals and moving pictures, but it's like the progressive rock isn't for everybody, you know? Which Hemispheres is uh, a lot of Rush fans believe that that's like their best album. Yeah, we had talked about a, uh, one of those songs may or may not be uh, one of my favorite 10 minute songs of all time. <laughs> yeah. Hemispheres is fucking unreal, but I think yeah. it applies to both groups and it's like, you know, and I, I love pink Floyd. I like pink Floyd and rush, but you know, uh, they're not for everybody. Cause like a lot of the things that deter people from rush is uh Getty Lee's voice. You know, it's yeah. like, you're, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it probably, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think also, like you said, the commitment aspect, like it's hard for a lot of people to commit to like 10 minute songs. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think like when you think of Pink Floyd and you think of Rush, like obviously progressive rock as a whole is actually they take a big like, um, you know, step in the direction of longer songs. So I think and both of these bands are su- highly successful, legendary bands, but pillar pillars of progressive. Yeah. Rock. I think like it, it, and you said the kind of person that takes to listen to it, like I think it takes a committed like rock fan to really like dig into these, like to the point of like being a, considered a huge fan, you know? Yeah. I, I like, mean, a lot of people, like, you can call yourself a casual fan if you like money and you like, uh, <laughs> like a, another brick in the wall, but yeah. And I mean, like think about like a uh, thrash guys, like dudes that like live and breathe thrash. They probably think Rush are a bunch of pussies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, they probably don't. They probably think that's chick rock or, you know, like I've heard that quote, like chick rock. Yeah. Well, and you know what's the other thing about the like bands like this too, like the Rushes and the Pink Floyds, like, especially in this period, like in the 70s, that that British art rock was a thing because, like, that kind of the, the, uh, the qualifier the main descriptor was like the these bands were taking a lot of their um influences from like classical music and shit and like the way these albums are constructed very much mirrors that like literally the first track of 2112 is called overture like it's an overture like that is classical music you know there's six part i think that's six parts in the song you know even though you know, if you break them down individually, you can break down over, you know, the 20 minute overture into six tracks if you wanted to super simplify it. But at the end of the day, it's one piece and it's yeah. meant to be played as one. Um, and very, and the wall is very much like that. For me, the wall felt like, you know, like you can, you can go that way too, because like you have your acts and whatever, but like the wall is like a kind of like a three part tale, maybe four, but like, that's something and you know obviously they made a movie out of it and i know that there's been like stage productions about it but like that that album is very much like the like the epitome of a, an album that you can turn into like a broadway show and yeah. yeah and because like it's just that story that it tells all the way through is very much meant for the stage if you ask me like if you wanted to like super commercialize something but like um you know, I know like people like of our parents' age will say that like when they would go see Pink Floyd and they would perform The Wall, like it was truly this just like like jaw dropping experience. And then right. you know, they knock down the wall at the end, and it's just like holy shit! And like it's just a very very powerful experience. And like that's one of those things that you know if you could never like if I could never go back in time and like witness something like that, like go back to you know, 76, 70, whatever, and, and go watch that show. Like that would, that would be remarkable. Like I would love to see something like that. Doesn't uh, David Gilmore take the wall out sometimes still? Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Uh, not David Gilmore, Roger or Waters. Roger Waters, my bad. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know what, another thing. So I said a uh, chick rock earlier. Another thing, another reason why these two bands, like a lot of this kind of music probably weren't as like, probably would get hated on by like the uh you know the hair metal groups and shit like that 
right. is because <laughs> it's because of chicks. Because that's like, if you think about it, like Rush tells a story that there's a fucking fabulous Rush documentary. Um, fuck, what's that called, man? It's so killer. But he talks about touring with Kiss, like uh, Getty Lee's talking about touring with Kiss. And they said like Kiss had women like lined up like outside their hotel rooms for like fucking like all the way around the corner and stuff, like just waiting <laughs> to get into their hotel room and rush. They were like sitting in their chairs and reading like Ann Rand and like the Hobbit, and, you know, <laughs> they were dorks, <laughs> man. Like they were nerds. It's like, you know, they're, they're not like in it for the chicks or whatever, or like the cocaine Truly in it for like the that. music. <laughs> yeah. They're in it to do music. Whereas like Gene Simmons is doing Coke off a stripper or whatever. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, that it's a it's a totally different world you know right and it's crazy like that you you have that like juxtaposition of like personalities like on the same tour like together yeah. you know it's like you, two two personality types that couldn't be more opposite but yet they they toured together and i presume worked out very well at, in yeah. the same breath yeah the uh, other thing too that i'll mention is like a lot of these like uh like progressive rock guys were really like actually very like talented, like classically talented musicians. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, Brooks, you alluded to that earlier and I thought that was a good point that like, yeah, like dude, like a lot of these guys, like Travis kind of talked about like kiss and stuff. Like those just didn't have like a lot of formal training. You know what I mean? No. Like Ace really doesn't even hold his guitar the right way. <laughs> like, yeah like when he plays so yeah like a lot of these guys like are just in it because like they love to just and it sounds cheesy like they do it because they actually love to just play music like um yeah and even look at the images of the bands like yeah. you look at posters from that era you got robert plant you know with his fucking seven inch cock like uh, hanging in his jeans and he's got his shirt open and you know like other like Mick Jagger you know he's like posing like with his shirt off and stuff <laughs> Pink Floyd you never really have that like that sex symbol guy like you know you think about the doors uh, fucking like everywhere you look there's like sex cells right so it's like a bunch of these bands have a bunch of these like notable icons and with Pink Floyd every every picture you pretty much see is just a bunch of like long-haired guys just standing you know looking at the camera and it's like it's literally about the music like everything they do is about the music you know that's how yeah. they express themselves they don't express themselves by being like the you know the diva rock star kind of like axel rose robert plant kind of thing like rock star legit they express themselves through these records and stuff so that that's why i think they hold like a special place to a lot of fans for and sure. I think it was easier to and sorry Brooks I think I cut you off but uh I think it was you know oh, people identify with people who look more normal you know what I mean yeah yeah not like, everybody can be fucking Robert Plant with his yeah you know his not golden hair Robert and Plant. shit and yeah it's like, like dude like you could actually like look at Getty Lee and be like yeah man I kind of look like Getty Lee or like I yeah, kind of look like the like, rock record shop guy yeah, he looks like the guy you bought like Rush records from, which is yeah. crazy. Like you know, the same with uh, Pink Floyd. Like you can look on stage and be like, I identify with this guy. He looks normal. Like he's not walking around like like looking like a star. You know what I mean? Like these guys didn't look like stars. Yeah. And if you were like walking down the street in like 1975. And Getty Lee walked by you in Canada, you'd be like, you wouldn't bat an eye. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. nobody would recognize that that's Getty Lee from Rush unless you were a big fan. So, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, Roger I mean, Waters could probably still walk, you know, a lot of places and not everybody, not everybody. Yeah, that's true. He is like, you know, yeah, if you ask somebody like that was a casual rock fan, like what Roger yeah. Waters or David Gilmore looked like, you, they probably couldn't tell you. Whereas everybody would know who the fuck you know, Steven Tyler or, you know, uh, Robert, Robert Plant, Plant or Axel Rose, or, Paul you know, McCartney. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. All right. So why don't we that, get into our picks? I was, was going to say that. I said, so Josh, you, you know, you already gave us your hot take. So I, I'm like 99% sure you're going with the wall. So tell us why exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's the thing, man. Like 2112 is, 
I think just like a small step behind the wall when it comes to an album. But I think when I listen to the wall, I think, you know, like the political themes of that album, the way that album's constructed and flows together, the way that like just some of the songs just like make you feel like, I think there's like an intense feeling when you listen to some of the songs on the album. Like, dude, like we talk about songs we can't listen to over and over again, like that we're tired of. But like another brick in the wall for some reason just doesn't get old. Like I get stoked when I hear that. Mm-hmm. Like the same with oh, like yeah. comfortably numb. You know what I mean? Like there's just something like like I look forward to still hearing those songs whenever like they pop up on the record. I think yeah. And I think, like, if this album came out today, I still think that it would, like, be, like, it would transcend, like, what rock and roll or, like, what progressive rock is, right? Yeah. I think it still would hold up today. Like, and then you have, like, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead and finish your thought. Like, songs like Hey You, which, you know, you know, Hey You... Like, just something about the atmosphere of, like, that whole, you know, like, when you hear, like, the reverb on the songs and, like, the echoes that, like, like on the vocals and stuff like that, I just, that stuff, like, is so, like, appealing to me from, like, a listener's aspect, and I think that, like, it just, I'm a big fan of, like, shoegazy music, too, not that this is, like, a shoegazy record, but I feel like it is, like the two things that shoegaze and this like like the wall have in common are the way that it puts you into a certain state of mind or like into a certain um like feeling you know what i mean so i think just overall the wall like when you put everything together like the songwriting uh the political themes of it um the story that it tells um you know just like the memorable parts like everybody can just like resonate with a song on this record i think i think there's a song for everybody no matter how big of a fan of rock they are so and on the opposite side 2112 i think as somebody who's obsessed with like space and aliens (laughs) and like just like that whole (laughs) feeling of like the whole space atmosphere like the ambience of like you know what space and like what's out there 2112 is just a brilliant record too um it's like it's it's really hard to find a rush record that is bad um i mean like there's a couple for sure but 2112 it has to be like in my opinion it's the peak rush album i think i mean hemispheres is also incredible as well but uh yeah, 20, I'm glad we picked these two because, um, yeah, they're both just classics. So it was a tough decision. It took a few listens to really nail down which one I liked more or was the winner. Um, but I really don't think there's a loser in this battle. But for the sake of picking the winner, it has to be the wall for me. See, and for me, like, it was actually a very, very easy decision. And like and it's for me it's like i'll just cut to the end my my choice is the wall as well and i didn't think it was particularly close and and which feels wrong like saying those words it didn't feel close makes us feel like i'm about to shit on 2112 but that's not the case like i think the wall is just so far and above superior that it's like not even fair to, to 2112 like I feel like twenty one twelve is the butter fight brought to the gun the butter knife brought to the gunfight. Like cause for, and here's and here I can specifically reason why like where twenty one twelve is lacking and it's it's a piece of feedback that I almost never give and that's I don't think there's enough there. Like like there, I don't think there's actual enough content there. Like the 2112 Overture is 20, million, 20 minutes of brilliance, I believe. Fantastic story, um, musically cohesive, 
again, like I said, so good story. So lyrically, very um, engaging, very interesting. And then, then you have the rest of the album, which is 18 minutes broken into five songs of just randomness. They're not bad songs, but they're, it just becomes like any other album at that point for me. And that's where it differentiates. So it's like, whereas The Wall is an hour and a half story. It is its own. It is one cohesive piece, and it's brilliant all the way through. It takes you on a journey, you know, musically, in your mind. Like, when I actually had to sit, like, when I actually sat down and, like, had that focused listen, and this is something I don't do very often with the, with albums on our battles, but with this one, I felt like I needed to. Like, I sat down with the lyric books, and I read along the lyrics as I was listening to it, and I was truly like mind fucked, like going through the wall. Like I was just like, holy shit, like this is, you know, like, you know, some, you know, with this stuff, it's easy. Like Josh, you mentioned it before that Pink Floyd is like a band that you can just turn on and listen to and drown, you know, kind of zone out to. And you don't really li- realize what you're listening to sometimes. But when you actually pay attention to what you're listening to, this album is like, it's kind of a mind fuck. But like in a good way, you're just like, I can't believe that this is the story being told of, you know, when you actually realize, like when you actually think about what is the wall, you know, all these mental blocks in the life of Pink Floyd, you know, just build the wall, build the wall. I can't get out of my own head. You know, I can't, you know, I can't you know, have struggles with just carrying on your life because of all these issues that you're having. And it's like, for me, that's just it's just like takes you on another level. And I think, and the thing is, is like songs like, you know, another brick in the wall parts one, two, and three comfortably numb, you know, all the tracks that every casual rock fan knows when you pull those out by themselves, they're still really good tracks, especially comfortably numb. But then when you place them in their, when you put them in their respective places in the album, and then when you get to that part of the story, it's just like, fuck like it just takes it to another level and i think that's something that if if rush did something more like that with 2112 like if they extended that story from the overture you know did two parts of that i think it could have been a lot closer for me because i think it would have been um yeah i just i just think like the first if you put like the first half of if you put the overture against another album like this i think that right there would be close enough but um, so, yeah, that's a long way to say that I think it's the wall. Um, and I hope that I was able to <laughs> dictate, I hope I was able to uh, uh, convey my my thoughts on these albums. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I will say, too, is like when he when like Roger Waters, like because I, I want to say that he like constructed the album a couple of years before it came out while on the road or like had the idea for it. Like, going back to just, like, the political ideas, like, when it starts out with, um, you know, I think it was, there was, like, a flashback to, like, his father, like, being killed in World War Two. Yeah, that's and where then, it starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, like, where it starts. And then, like, kind of how there's, like, this story arc of how, like, his father fought in World War Two, like, against, like, obviously the world was fighting against, like, fascism. And like evil dictatorships, and like ultimately, like good prevailed, and like, uh, like the you know the the good side won the war, right? But then he finds himself like in this weird position as like him feeling like his own like dictator in a way, right? And it's just like the way that that is like constructed, and how he finds himself as like the epitome of what his father fought against. I thought was yeah. and he has you know, that very, uh, it's like a dream it's like a yeah, dream a hallucination uh, like hell yeah yeah it's like a hallucination I just that's one thing that I like stood out to me like the storytelling aspect of the wall is just like so incredible with the way that the beginning ties into like his breakdown right and he, he like he becomes like what his father like fought against so in a way he became like the enemy of his father and like you could tell like the importance of 
how you could just like see the significance of that in the beginning of the record and then like in the middle where it just kind of ties together like it, it's brilliant yeah yeah like uh, you guys kind of hit on all the points like it's the wall for me the wall is one of my favorite albums that's why like when you guys were talking about putting the wall up against like something by queen i was just like okay buddy, boys let's uh let's not go there uh <laughs> i um i found myself though actually like uh defending 2112 a little bit though like as you guys were talking <clears throat> i'd be interested to see like if uh because i know there are probably people out there that think 2112 is a superior record in the fact that i think i've heard some criticism on the wall that it's a little bloated and uh i know that uh brooks brought up like the run times and stuff do you think that that could be a negative like if you're just like an outsider looking at the wall like uh, as a as a record because i know you said that there's not much there with 2112 but like and one of pink floyd's like uh you know arguably their best album wish you were here is like four songs you know three like well four. and let, let me let me clarify that point is because for the sake of this battle that was a key factor because like the wall, it, even though an hour and a half, it's a very compelling hour and a half. And you know me, I'm not one for the long tracks or the long albums. Like I like concise, mm-hmm. but with, but when you're putting concept album against concept album, British art rock, whatever you want to call it, like if you're going to make that solid music, I think you have to draw. I think you have to give more substance. I think you have to give it more runtime and like do it, give it what it's due. And I think Rush could have done more of that. Like if they made, if this album was like two overtures together or one long, co- like one, like 45 minutes, but of the same cohesive story, I think it could have taken it to another level. And it's already very good. But I think the way the album was constructed with the overture and then just like random tracks after it, I think that kind of takes away from like the concept album for me, where it's like half of a concept album if that makes sense. Yeah. Like uh, you guys kind of touched on it. Like the wall, I think is just a little bit more like emotionally, like like it's a, it's a bit more of an emotional journey for me, like more complex. Uh, The story is one that I find myself like diving into more, you know, the, the idea of the guy, you know, uh, dealing with his problems and putting up walls to find himself like to hide himself from society and the world and his problems and, uh, Run Like Hell's always been one of my favorite tracks of all time. Like, I think the iconic tracks on this album are like tracks that never really get old. Um, no, I had to bring up the bloated thing because I have seen that criticism on this album because it's like, because a lot of their other albums are very like concise and long songs, you know? And it's like, this is kind of, it is really like built for like scenes in a movie kind of thing. You know, it's like a, a lot of these songs, some of these songs are like a minute long, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, some of my absolute favorite tracks of all time, man, like, uh, and lyrically, w- like one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, my favorite tracks on here, The Thin Ice and Mother and Run Like Hell, like those three are my favorite tracks. And I will say uh, Empty Spaces would be, would 100% be my like if I were an MMA fighter, uh, Empty Spaces would 100% be my coming out music. Like a thousand percent. Like you put that motherfucker up loud and it just sounds eerie. And I just think that the wall goes to another level that 2112 doesn't. Like uh, as far as complexity and uh, the emotional kind of messaging and stuff, uh, political messaging as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. Was, I, I love these two bands, man. These These two bands are two of my favorites. And what I want to say is, and I just want to put a, a closer on it, that um, obviously there, there, there's a website that I came across while I was digging into these albums, and it's called thewallanalysis.com. And I, I, if for anybody that like wants to like really dig into this album, go to that website because there's a lot to learn. There's like a full write-up of every song. All the lyrics are there. They give you like what the song means in like a sentence or two. And for me, like I followed along on this website, like while I was listening and it really just like took it on another level for me. So that's just kind of my, my, uh, little nugget of info for anybody that really wants to do a deep dive into this album. 
You should uh, listen to Dark Side of the Moon while watching Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that one before. Yeah, how it like syncs up or whatever. One funny thing I want to bring up before we go. Uh, when The Wall came out, critics hated that record. Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. They it was thought like it was like, super and... pretentious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like critics hated that. But uh, yeah, one other thing I want to point out. Uh, Make it quick because we got to wrap it up. The guy who produced The Wall also produced Kiss's greatest album, The Elder. Uh, so <laughs> he did a lot of good shit too. Obviously, that's sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a sarcastic. I was about to say, don't do Bob Ezrin like that, but <laughs> yeah, a lot of that was on Kiss, though, man. Yeah, for trying All to right. be something they weren't. All right, so with there, we're gonna wrap it up. Um, everybody, thanks for joining this uh, episode. I we did, I know it's probably on the longer side, but we you know these are two albums that that justified a longer discussion today. We'll see you back next week. Don't forget to follow us on uh, social media. Um, Guillotine Press on Facebook, Guillotine PM Twitter, Guillotine uh, underscore Press One on uh, Instagram. Gentlemen, we killed you killed it this week. We'll see you back next week. And also, we're gonna try target a new day for uh, publishing recordings. Look to come at you every Monday or Tuesday every week. So um, look for us on a new day. Thanks everybody. Peace out. Peace. <laughs>